if we're going to double or triple the size of our electricity grid, we need some stability. And we need to recognize there's an element of flexibility that will be needed to get us there. I'm bullish on this. I think we'll do better than we think we will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think new technologies will get there faster than we think we will. And I think that the demand side of the market will become much more engaged and, and provide services that we aren't thinking about right now. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 093, number 93 of the Flux Capacitor. My guest on today's pod is... Vittoria Bellissimo, the President and CEO of the Canadian Renewable Energy Association. Vittoria joined me for a conversation about the state of wind, solar and energy storage in Canada and the prospects for the future. We discuss the role of the Canadian Renewable Energy Association, recent growth in the sector, the recent pause on approvals in Alberta, barriers to growth and investment, the importance of grid diversity, and the federal investment tax credit regime as a response to the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. We talk about the electricity transition hub, and we close the conversation with some reflections on Indigenous reconciliation. Here is my conversation with Vittoria Bellissimo, recorded on Zoom in early February 2024. Victoria, it's awesome finally get to, to, to get you on the podcast. Uh, it's uh, terrific that we have an opportunity to talk about renewables. Uh, yeah, renewables and energy storage. So I am very much looking forward to it as well. Great. So why don't we start off uh, for the listener with a little bit of background about the Canadian Renewable Energy Association. Kind of where, where did it come from? Because it is a an amalgam of other associations, right? It is. Yes. So Canria is the voice of the wind energy, solar energy and energy storage solutions that will power Canada's energy future. Um, We were established on July 1st, 2020, uh, when the Canadian Wind Energy Association and the Canadian Solar Industries Association united uh, to create one voice for wind, solar and energy storage. Um, We work uh, to create the conditions for a modern electricity system through stakeholder advocacy and public engagement. Uh, and we have about 370 members all across the country, uh, and they're diverse and uniquely positioned to deliver clean, low-cost, reliable, flexible, and scalable solutions for Canada's energy needs. And it's the whole supply chain, right? So, okay. um, of of those three technology types, right? And so, uh, while the the title says uh, renewables, it doesn't include it doesn't include large hydro, right? It doesn't include large hydro. Actually, uh, um, there is a Water Power Canada Association that <clears throat> that that works um, with large hydro facilities, and I assume Electricity Canada does a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah, and and we've we've actually had Water Power Canada on the on the podcast previously as well. All right. So, what's the kind of the, the current state today of uh, of uh, renewables? Uh, sort of, you know, how much how much of the market um, is it? And, uh, and, you know, what are they, you know, as you said, you, you, you mentioned to, you know, wind and solar and storage. So where do those, uh, where do those currently sort of situate in the, in the Canadian uh, energy landscape? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So we just released um, what we call our annual data report, and we do it in January of every year. Um, and uh, it really provides a summary of the growth in the past year, as well as the total um, electricity capacity that's on the system. Mm -hmm. So uh, Canada now has uh, 21.9 gigawatts of wind, solar and energy storage. Um, and the industry grew um, in installed capacity by 11.2% in, in 2023. Mm -hmm. So I can just tell you a couple of quick numbers to, to take a look at the 2023 growth, which was impressive. So we added uh, 1,720 megawatts of wind, nearly 360 megawatts of utility scale solar and 86 megawatts of on-site solar. And then we added 140 megawatts, um, and a, which is equivalent to um, 190 megawatt hours of um, energy storage. Energy storage is neat in that you quote the capacity number as well as the duration that the energy um, storage facility can can hold power for. Okay. Um, so uh, I can tell you a few really interesting other anecdotes about that. Uh, the yeah. vast majority, like last year, the vast majority was actually in the province of Alberta. Okay. Um, so last year it was about 75% of the total new installed capacity was in Alberta. Mm -hmm. And this year it was, it was 92%. So even more. Wow. And, and that's for, for, for all three wind, solar and, uh, and storage. That's for all three wind, solar and storage combined. Okay. And so why is it, um, why is Alberta seemingly uh, a more fertile ground right now for, uh, new renewables than than yeah. than the rest of the country. Is it a question of how the markets are structured, or it's yeah, it's a it's a number of things. So um, the first thing I will point out about Alberta, which is my home province, so I'm uh, always happy to sing its praises, is that we have in Alberta some of the best uh, wind and solar regimes in all of North America. So mm -hmm. we have we are set up for uh, success from an onshore resource perspective. Okay. Uh, second of all, we have a structure that uh, right now is an open electricity market. So anyone can come and build at any time. There's no need to wait for a procurement schedule from a crown corporation or from a, a government. And um, and that's really created an environment for success. So uh, there is a, a contracting mechanism called um, a corporate power purchase um, agreement or a corporate PPA. And we've signed over 3,300 3, megawatts of, of corporate renewable PPAs in Alberta. And that's buyers and suppliers making deals on their own commercial terms uh, to buy and sell electricity from renewable projects. Uh, so that's been a real success story. Um, we also got some really interesting pricing transparency uh, a number of years ago. The previous government ran a procurement and um, the pricing came in very, very low okay. um, um, in the $40 a megawatt hour range and, uh, and, and even below it in some instances. And, and people realized that projects could be done here really inexpensively um, and, and it took off. And so we've seen a whole lot of success here. Now we're facing some serious headwinds now um, but uh, the past couple of years really have been an Alberta success story. Yeah, you mentioned pricing transparency. Um, so, so we don't have that level of price, pricing transparency in in other uh, in other markets in other areas of the country. Uh, no, we absolutely do. Um, okay. Generally, um, when a Crown Corp or a system operator runs a procurement, they do provide the um, 
the average price of the okay. procurement. So you saw that in Quebec uh, not too long ago. Right. Um, and uh, with their 1500 megawatt RFP, which actually procured uh, a little bit more than 1500 megawatts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we hadn't seen procurements in a while um, when Alberta ran theirs, right? Ontario had been um, pretty active and then and then slowed down. Right. Um, and so, and, and the Ontario pricing was quite a bit higher. So the technology pricing dropped and um, and you could really see a, a new level set of um, of pricing information. Now we have different constraints now, and as you're well aware, supply chains are a, a problem for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, but uh, wind and solar are the most um, cost effective sources of new energy supply in the world today, mm-hmm. um, and you can see that in the pricing. Right. Right. Hey, uh, Victoria, one of the things that I ask people that come onto the podcast is about their journey. I'm always, I'm always interested to get a sense of where kind of folks come from. And I, I, I often make the joke, you know, when, when you were a kid on the playground, did you always dream uh, of being the president and CEO of the Canadian Renewable Energy Association? So what was, what was your journey? Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know that I, I dreamt that up on the playground. Um, um, but I did study it in school. So um, okay. I'm, I uh, really always loved math. Um, and I went and got an engineering degree from Queen's University. Oh. So I did uh, applied math engineering. Um, we used to call it Apple math, which was cute at the time. Um, and then I went <laughs> to grad school and uh, I studied environmental sustainability. And I did my master's dissertation on mechanisms to support the development of renewable energy. Um, oh. So I looked at different policy mechanisms, and I really uh, I got I got to work at the Scottish Parliament at the time, which was very very exciting because it was a new building. Hmm. Um, then I moved back to Canada, or I came back to Canada to visit, um, and I I had the opportunity to meet with a manager in Ontario who was um, running uh, RFPs um, for procurement of renewables in Ontario, and I said I'm going back to finish a PhD, so um, you know I could. I could help you out for a few months while I'm waiting for the funding to come in. Um, and I stayed. Um, so I never actually went back to Scotland. Um, so I, uh, it, it, it was exciting. We, we were buying renewables um, in the original um, RFPs in Ontario. So before the standard offer, before the feed-in tariff. Right. Um, and uh, it was a really exciting time. We started uh, off a new industry from almost zero. Uh, And then I moved over to the Ontario Power Authority when it was set up. um, And uh, now it's part of the IESO in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Um, But we started um, doing procurements there. And then um, I got excited about how electricity markets work. Um, And uh, I actually ended up moving out to Alberta to um, live and work in an open electricity market and see how that works out for consumers. And I took a job um, working with large industrial power consumers. So I spent 14 years helping customers understand their bills and um, get better rates. And I was involved in a whole bunch of regulatory proceedings, hmm. uh, which are not as fun as you think they are. And uh, I don't think anybody yeah, really thinks, know, they're they're think they're fun. <laughs> yeah. Regulatory humor is a kind of different place. It, in the it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Um, and then I got headhunted to do this and I'm really excited about it. And it feels a bit like coming home to the um, the thing that I first fell in love with uh, in the electricity sector. Um, and I couldn't be happier. I started this job in 2022. The team is amazing. Uh, the industry is really amazing and helpful. And, uh, you know, what's really neat is that um, these companies work in lots and lots of different areas. So if mm-hmm. you need an example of something, 
they'll bring it to you from another jurisdiction. If you've got a problem um, with something like customer connections, they've got examples of where that problem has been solved in a whole bunch of other areas. So it's really inclusive. It's really helpful. um, And there's a whole lot of experience across um, not just North America, but but all all of the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I'm happy to be. Um, back in the renewables and storage scene. I'm very excited about energy storage and the future that it has. Um, and I think electricity, um, like I, f- I feel like we've made some good choices here to be in electricity at this time. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next 10 years, the next 20 years are going to be really, really exciting. Possibly the most exciting electricity years we've ever seen. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. But listen, I mean, you hinted earlier that um, that uh, while uh, the bulk of the, the growth recently uh, has been in Alberta, uh, you're facing headwinds. And so if, just in case the, the listener isn't familiar with what's been going on in Alberta, can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the moratorium that I, I guess is going to be coming to an end soon, but like what, what, first off, like what was, what is that all about? Uh, what, and what's the impact been on the, on the sector? Yeah. So in August of 2023, the government of Alberta decided to pause Alberta utilities commission, um, approvals for renewable energy projects yeah. um, and uh, there was no advance notice provided to industry that this was going to happen. Um, they stated that it's because the Alberta Utilities Commission and the Alberta Electric System Operator and the rural municipalities of Alberta had told them that um, they needed to do so. Uh, it turned out later that none of those entities actually said that. Oh. Um, so it's been a bit of a um, <clears throat> interesting experience in, in learning how this um, came about. The major issues related to the pause were um, uh, land use. Um, so, you know, what happens when we build renewables on mm-hmm. agricultural land and how do we make sure that we're not, um, you know, infringing on agricultural land mm-hmm. um, and reclamation. So, um, as you may know, in Alberta, we have a, a, a an interesting situation where there have not been um good um, reclamation systems in place to address uh, orphan wells. Um, yep. And right. and so the concern is that uh, in the renewables industry, we don't want to end up with um, the same situation. Mm-hmm. There were a d- different other things. So uh, pristine landscapes. So how do we ensure that we still have our beautiful mountain views, for example? Um, should we allow renewables on crown land um, is another one. And then what should we do with our electricity market? And that's a bigger question than just renewables. Right. Um, so the Alberta Utilities Commission ran an inquiry um, and they've broken it up into two parts. Module A really addresses the reclamation and the land use um, issues. Um, and that's completed and the report's been sent to the government. Um, and we have been told uh, repeatedly by the premier, by the minister, that um, this pause on AUC approvals will lift uh, at the end of uh, this month of February. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's been consistent the whole time. So I, I I think there's a whole lot of reasons to believe that that's true. Right. What kind of an impact has it had uh, on the uh, on the renewable sector in Alberta? Yeah, I mean, we rely on investors to show up in this energy only market. Um, yeah. So anything that we do in Alberta that um, deters investment or makes it look like we're not a stable place to do business or decisions are made in a way that isn't um, open and transparent is, is really bad for business. Right. We want 
to be an open jurisdiction that invites investors in. And the win for customers here is that all of the generation is paid for by investors. So there's no debt that you're taking on. All of the um, costs are paid for by, by investors. And that's been the setup of the market. It's going to be difficult to tell what the consequences of uh, this are compared to the other things that are going on in the Alberta electricity market. So, for example, if we end up redesigning our market situation, mm -hmm. if we keep our energy only market, but modify it to uh, more of a standard market design with a day ahead market and a yeah. real time market and maybe nodal pricing, we'll find out. Um, as well as um, transmission policy is up for grabs as well. The government released a green paper on transmission policy, and I won't get too detailed here, but um, there were some big questions on the table about changing allocation of transmission costs. Mm -hmm. And uh, those that type of uncertainty is is really bad news for investors. Um, first of all, it's, it, it makes everyone who's already invested quite nervous because the ground is moving beneath their feet, yeah. um, especially if you've you know, built a project and signed a corporate PPA. And as I mentioned, there's 3,300 megawatts at least of corporate PPAs signed in Alberta. So mm -hmm. those folks are getting nervous. And uh, and then if, if investors are looking to spend money and developers are looking to spend money, um, they want stability and we're not offering stability. Yeah. Um, so we still have, you know, the best, some of the best wind and solar regimes in all of North America. We still have an open market structure where you don't have to wait for a procurement, but we have all of these other moving parts. So um, my view is let's settle all the moving parts as fast as we possibly can, um, because we're going to need investment going forward. And mm -hmm. um, and, and it's it's going to come from our members. Um, so it, it's uh We've been we've been saying this on repeat, and I I know that some of the messages are really resonating, but um, lots of things will settle in the next couple months here. Right. Okay. All right. So let let's step back a little bit from from Alberta and and, and talk um, you know more broadly, because that there you know as, as you've as you've sketched, there are some sketched out. There are some challenges very specific to the Alberta market and the Alberta marketplace, but generally um, you, you know when 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 looking at the sector across the country. What are the sort of barriers that you see uh, that that may be impeding our our ability to 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 get uh, projects moving forward or get investments in the sector? Are there things that are that are still outstanding that that need to be done? Uh, there are, and I I bet you and I agree on a number of uh, of these items. Um, okay, let's see which ones we can tick off. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing we're going to have to make sure is that this generation capacity can can um, produce electricity and get it to market. Yeah. So um, uh, that means there needs to be adequate uh, wires. So uh, mm -hmm. both transmission and distribution wires across the country. Yep. Um, and they need to be built in a really cost-effective way. So uh, we need to look at um, when to build wires and when we can use other mechanisms to um, manage uh, getting um, additional resources on the grid. And that's... Um, really looking at other items in the electricity portfolio that have uh, really under been underserved and under tapped in the past. Mm -hmm. So energy storage um, is a, is a big part of that. We can use energy storage for lots of different things in the market. It can provide reliability services. It can provide um, wires services. So deferrals of transmission um, and distribution investments when we don't need to spend quite that much money. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it'll 
help us out on the reliability side um, in a really quick and cost-effective way. So um, storage is on the table and storage has been increasing and the costs have been dropping and it needs to be part of every portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, demand response and customers um, really underutilized. And uh, we had a, not to bring it back to Alberta Francis, but we had a, um, a tight market uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I didn't really, want to talk really, about that. Yeah. yeah, really low temperatures. And a call went out to customers to um, uh, through everybody's cell phones to curtail excess consumption. And we dropped 200 megawatts. And that was a real success story. And so now people are trying to say, well, what if we actually paid people to um, reduce their electricity supply at certain time periods when we need that? Right. And Ontario's done a number of items in this um, area. And there's energy efficiency agencies in lots of different places. Yeah. I'm a big fan of energy efficiency. We need to start looking at that um, in a much more serious way. The cheapest uh, megawatt is a megawatt, as people always say. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah and it, it's true and it's cost effective. Um, so as we work through the energy transition, we need to always remember that there's a customer at the end of the day paying the bill and we need to make that as low as we can get it for them um, because it's going to be a, a big transition. Yeah. So that's two items. Uh, well, three, I guess, wires and utilization of energy storage and um, and demand response. We need to look at all sorts of things like intertize is on the table and has been a big discussion. Um geographic diversification of supply yep. uh you know in the future we'll have combustion turbines with different fuels we'll have a diverse grid i think that's what everybody really does learn in these um cold and hot weather extremes and and uh, is that we we are going to face an uncertain future um mm-hmm. for weather events mm-hmm. and a diverse supply mix is the best way to um keep our grid uh up and active in those in those difficult times. Right. Is that one of the lessons out of the uh, the that, that that cold snap in in uh, in Alberta in January was was uh, diversity of of the grid and the importance of that. I mean, I think it is. Uh, I, there was a lot of rhetoric around that uh, time period, and a lot of people chimed in uh, very early with oh, yeah. positive and negative messages about different yeah. technology types. So my view on all of that uh, is we all should have been singing from the same communication song sheet, right? We had a problem. We needed to solve the problem. So everybody should have just been on message. Please turn off anything you're not using right now. Um, And that uh, we need to get better in a crisis as an electricity sector. Everyone needs to just get on the same page and solve the crisis before we start um, releasing hot takes on each other. So uh, that's that's the first lesson. Um, a diverse supply mix helps you out. We hit a new system peak in Alberta on January 11th, 12,384 megawatts. Yep. And it was over 1,000 megawatts of wind on the system at the time, helping us meet that demand, Right. Uh, which I think is a very good news story that uh, uh, didn't get a lot of press. Uh, in addition to that, we were, the ISO uh, was very clever in how they used our energy storage fleet. Mm-hmm. We have 190 megawatts of utility scale um, energy storage in Alberta, and they uh, they dispatched it in two different ways. They used it to provide frequency support so that they could move more electricity in over the intertize, right. which kind of amplifies the value of energy storage, which was great. And they also, instead of making the storage uh, fleet operators guess of, of 
about when we're peaking, they uh, directed uh, discharge on peak. Mm. So when we did use the um, the energy that the batteries were holding, we used it when at the optimal time. Um, and I, I've been saying to people, that was 190 megawatts. Imagine if we had 500. If we had 500 megawatts of storage, we wouldn't have had any need to make a, a call out to customers to drop um, their excess gen- excess um, consumption. Right. So um, storage did a great job. And then, uh, you know, wind and, and solar uh, relieved the um, Monday uh, grid alert uh, and the ISO um, was very public with that message, which was great. Um, lots of lots of problems at minus 40. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Air intake on uh, fossil units isn't what you think it's going to be. Yep. Um, nothing really works exactly how you think it's going to work at minus 40. Um, so, you know, we need to start to think about what weather is coming our way and uh, and we need to be much more prepared than we have in the past. And I don't, I don't know if you've been talking about drought um, yep. Yep. in all of your meetings all the time now, yep. but if we end up with uh, drought conditions, which um, we're already at, uh, that's as a game changer. Um, all the hydro that we're expecting um, isn't going to produce as we're expecting it. And one of the big cures, not cures because you can't cure it, but one of the big things that would help is if we ran more renewables and held the water. Um, so we need to think about how we're going to do that going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to think about what the costs are going to be um, for customers. Um, and it, the the wetter times are going to get wetter and the drier times, times are going to get, gonna get drier. Absolutely. Yeah. We're seeing that. We're, and we're going to see that this, this year is going to be a year. It looks both uh, both west and east in this country where we're, we're, we're facing drought. We're facing low water levels. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's game changers all over the place um, in electricity. So there are more challenges than we've seen, and uh, there are more solutions and um, less expensive solutions than we've seen to a lot of our problems. Yeah. But we need to think differently. It's not the same uh, grid that we've seen for a hundred years. It's a very different place. It's a very different environment. And system operators and crown corps and developers and everyone in the whole sector needs to start to think about electricity a little bit differently. Reliability is a portfolio approach mm-hmm. and we need to be able to help our neighbors in a way that we've never been able to help our neighbors before. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a really new ball game. Yeah. Yeah. The report came out this week uh, from RBC's Climate Institute yeah. that talks about um, uh, the uh, underinvestment um, by a factor of two or three uh, in this sector. A- any, you know, any any reflections from you about, you know, the sort of things that that, that we should be thinking about doing to try and get more investment in uh, in our in our uh, clean energy sector? Yeah, I mean, from an, I'd like to talk about investment and workforce, right? Because I always sort of think of, yeah. you know, what are, are these two bottlenecks and how do we get ahead of both of them? Well, and I, I always think of in terms of three, I add supply chain to that. Supply, supply, supply chain, chain yeah, yeah, people and, and dollars, good. absolutely. Yeah, they're all, they're all bottlenecks. Um, the, the investment piece, it's a, we need a stable investment climate, right? So yeah. Um, the money's going to chase stability and uh, predictability. And if we can offer um, long-term contracts, investors like that. And if we can offer a stable environment where they can see what their revenue looks like, investors like that too. Mm-hmm. So um, we we need to transition in a really stable way. The other thing we need to be able to do is compete with America mm. um, in particular. Yeah. Uh, 
And with the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., um, investment tax credits here are going to be very, very, very important. So we'll see, hopefully, see those roll out in the next couple of months, um, retroactive to March of 2023, right. at least the first, the first tranche, which is going to be very important to our members. Um, and I think that's an ongoing concern. Uh, are we a competitive place compared to everyone else in the world who is looking to double, if not triple, the size of their electricity grid? Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think the, um, the ITC regime that we're going to be rolling out soon is going to be sufficient uh, to compete with the IRA? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, jury's out. Um, uh, you know, the indications are that it will be um, it will make us competitive with the U.S. in the area of renewables and storage. Okay. Um, but it it needs to roll out fast. There needs to be a whole lot of clarity, um, and we need to make sure that it's you know there for the long haul. Um, there are other areas of the IRA that I'm sure you you've talked about um, that uh, we are not competitive with at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. So we talked about that that uh, deep freeze in Alberta, uh, and you mentioned storage uh, and how important storage uh, could be in these sorts of situations. Uh, is there anything specific to storage that's kind of holding us back, or or is it the same challenges that we have with uh, with other technologies? Uh, well, it's different in different places, right? So uh-huh. uh, Ontario, for example, is running a large storage procurement and. Um, the first tranche is is, uh, is done, and um, some of our members have been very successful. So uh, that's been a, a good news story there. Um, and they're looking, you know, it'll be 2,500 megawatts plus a couple of other projects, so up to 3,000 megawatts of storage. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll learn how they use the fleet, right? There'll be lots of learnings coming out of that. Um, other jurisdictions across the country are looking to, to Saskatchewan's got a 20 megawatt project um near Regina there's um uh uh kind of looks in other areas about what they will and won't buy um but in in Alberta specifically what we do is uh we charge storage like it's a consumer and a generator we -hmm. treat storage like it's a consumer and a generator Mm -hmm. even though the energy that they store outside of you know round-trip efficiency losses are never leaves the system um so um, we need to give it a tariff that isn't artificially prohibitive. Right. Uh, uh, and that's a, we've been working on that. Well, I've personally been working on that for quite a while. I know there's um, some progress we've made and I, I hope that that tariff will launch in the near future. Um, we also buy a bunch of other services. So we need to start to appreciate that you need to pay for what your what services you need going forward. So we need fast frequency response. So we right. need to pay, for, but we also need to appreciate that um, you, you don't just pay for the service in real time. You have to get those projects built. So yeah. there needs to be enough of a price signal there to have new projects come to the table. And that's probably a longer term contract than what's on the table right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is part of it market design? If, if, if the market doesn't recognize those other attributes that storage brings? Yeah, part of it is, I wouldn't say market design so much as allowing stackable revenue sources. Okay. Um, so if you're going to buy a revenue source, if you're going to buy a product that isn't compensated for in an energy only market, you have to pay for that. Right. We don't just, we can't just compensate it or we just can't, we can't just, um, we can't just expect it for free. Right. Yeah. yeah so right. ancillary services is a really good example. You have a market for that and storage can play. Um, fast frequency response, uh, you know, we, we will have a product for that, but we just need to make sure the product is right sized for, 
kind of the term that you need to incent the new sources of generation. And then in, in the market, we need to allow market arbitrage. That's what storage does best, right? Is um, yeah. Well, yeah. not necessarily what it does best, but that's something that it's really yeah, valuable. It does well, yeah, yeah. Buy low, sell high, good deal for customers. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, a, a good deal for um, supporting the integration of more renewables. In a, well, in yeah, a and, it's, and it's an incredibly more efficient way to run the system, yeah. Yeah. So we need to to enable stackable revenue um, and we'll learn. Yeah. Are, are there any jurisdictions that that uh, that, you know, you, you or your members point to where they've they've at least made progress in, in, in figuring out how we how we price this? Um, you know, every jurisdiction is so unique and across Canada, we have so many, you know, crown corps uh, running the show that uh, looking to other jurisdictions isn't necessarily helpful. Um, okay. In those areas, the, like for a um, storage procurement, like what Ontario has done, um, it the learning is in, in doing right. So we've created this RFP. We've bought these. Um, uh, the, we will be buying the output from these facilities. Um, now we got to learn how to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's everything from like having a system operator that that tracks the state of charge of all of these units, so that we can mm-hmm. um, make the right decisions. Um, with uh, charging and discharging at the right times. Um, and that's, a, a, it'll be a, a learning experience for both um, the, the project owners and for um, the system operator. So yeah. it's it's a work in progress, Francis, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing how it pans out, but I, I'm a huge proponent of energy storage. Right. Right. Hey, can we talk a little bit just uh, just briefly about, about the, um, the hub? Because I participated yes. in one of your events recently. Um, for the listener, can you can you uh, maybe describe uh, what it is that the, that the hub is doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was going to bring this up just to say thank you, but we uh, have a group that uh, is led by a gentleman named Phil McKay, and we uh, have an electricity transition hub. And it is really an independent um, organization from uh, Canria, um, but it was originally proposed by Canria and. Uh, it's funded right now through Natural Resources Canada. So thank uh, I'd like to thank them for that. Um, it, and what it does is it um, brings uh, information and has a, a library of best practices and creates a sharing environment and solution finding environment for utilities and system operators that are looking to integrate more wind, solar and storage into their systems. So it couldn't be more timely in my view utilities and uh, system operators all around the world are learning how to do this. And some of them are much more advanced than we are in Canada. So mm-hmm. we can take their learnings and apply them without having to make their mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a, it's been a really eye-opening experience. And I thank you for your participation. We just ran our second uh, annual uh, electricity transition hub summit in Calgary. Last year, we ran it in Toronto. Um, and uh, it, it's a great experience to figure out what's going on elsewhere and uh, what we can do better before we before we make any um, any major errors. Um, but uh, you might have some thoughts. How, did you learn something new? I found it hugely enlightening. Uh, some some really terrific conversations. It is, I think, delivering upon its name. It 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 is being, and it certainly is now a a hub of where these learnings are being shared. 
these conversations are, are taking place. And, um, you know, and I, I can certainly see the, you know, the, the connections that are being made. Um, so uh, I've found uh, the sessions that I've been involved in uh, particularly, particularly useful. Um, and yeah, look forward to see where the where the hub goes next, and we'll you know continue to continue to support where, wherever we can because I think these are, are really important conversations. Yeah, no, thank you for that, and uh, we are thank you for your support, um, and I'm glad to hear it's ongoing. Yeah, hey, let's uh, let's uh, cast our minds uh, out to the future, given that that's sort of the theme of the of the podcast overall, the flux capacitor. Uh, cast our minds out to 2035. Um, we've got a, a commitment made by the government of Canada for a net zero electricity grid. We've got clean electricity regulations uh, that are in, in draft form now. Um, any any observations about the CERs, uh, or you know, is, is that is that something that that uh, Canria has uh, you know has thought about and has weighed in on? Yeah, I mean, we have provided some feedback on the clean electricity regulations. I think what I would want to say as a kind of high level message here is if we're going to double or triple the size of our electricity grid, we need some stability and we need to recognize there's an element of flexibility that will be needed to get us there. I, I actually think we'll, I'm bullish on this. I think we'll do better than, than we think we will. Mm -hmm. um, I think new technologies will, will um, get there faster than we think we will. And I think that the demand side of the market will become much more engaged and, and provide services that we aren't thinking about right now. Right. Um, but it's still a huge monumental undertaking. Uh, one of the things that was said at the Electricity Transition Hub Summit was about how we have a century's worth of power system, um, you know, planning work and power system uh, um, evolution to do in a decade. Yeah. So it's it's a monumental undertaking and the biggest thing we've we've done in electricity, certainly in our lifetimes. And uh, I I think we need to. Um, be as flexible as possible um, on our journey to get there. Mm -hmm. So bullish on the future. Uh, if we yeah. if we if we cast our mind out to 2050, of course, is the is the is the target. What does that What does that world look like in 2050? From uh, uh, because you, you know you mentioned there's going to be new technologies coming online. Paint us a picture of what the world in 2050 looks like from from a, a Canadian Renewables Energy Association perspective. Okay, well, I haven't really thought about that one because that's quite far out and uh, I tend to spend my time in the much more near future. Um, but I, I do think we'll have a clean electricity system um, at that point in time. I think we'll have a mm -hmm. clean economy at that point in time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that clean economy um, will be much more efficient than we've been before. I think technology is uh, advancing at the right times for us to um, get real-time information about what should and shouldn't be happening and um, make decisions you know, we'll be using AI to make decisions. Um, so we won't be as slow as uh, as humans sitting sitting around trying to decide what units to, um, you know, get ramping up. Mm -hmm. It'll, you know, I, I, I guess the journey is the part that we will spend most of the time thinking about and not the actual destination, Francis. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the journey, I can't emphasize enough, will be very bumpy. And it's important to keep our eyes on the long term here. Uh, so when you get headwinds and you get, um, you know, supply chains that are sold out for the next seven years, so you don't know where you're going to get the technology you need to do things. Mm -hmm. uh, we just need to remember that uh, the long term game plan is the same. Mm -hmm. 
the bumpiness of the energy transition is expected. Um, and we're still all, we still all need to be rowing in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, uh, one thing uh, that I ask everybody to, to wrap things up uh, is I'm, I'm always looking for book recommendation. Um, and we've, uh, you know, we've, we've actually been able to assemble, a, a, I think, a really good reading list. Uh, and so what book would you add to uh, our reading list, Victoria? Oh, wow. I wish I was prepared for this question. What I would say is we just finished Indigenous Cultural Awareness Training uh, at Kenria, and um, we have uh, we had a company come in, and it was really eye-opening. Um, and uh, we learned all sorts of things we didn't already know, um, and some of it was really heartbreaking, right? So it was things like appreciating that people, um, Indigenous people, had children, knowing that those children would be taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was absolutely heartbreaking to, to hear about and think about. Um, and we as a team really realized there's lots to learn. Uh, I think we already knew that, but it really does eye open. It, it really does open your eyes to how much you have to learn. And mm -hmm. um, and having Indigenous participation in electricity projects going forward and in renewable projects and storage projects is really, really important. And it's really, really important across our industry. And um, um, we... We all made a list of um, uh, mm -hmm. what we will be reading going forward. So, you know, I, I um, from a personal perspective, uh, read Five Little Indians not too long ago, and it was, uh, again, heartbreaking. Um, and uh, our uh, kind of game plan, and I had a recommendation from a former uh, board member, so that's what I would like to provide to you, um, is uh, I'd like to read more about the Indigenous experience um, so that when it um, when I do things uh, in my current role, like um, go out to members and uh, Indigenous members and say, do you have time? Will you serve on our board of directors? Will you provide input um, to our process? What, uh, what am I asking, right? And, and am I putting additional pressure on um, people who are already um, uh, being asked to do all of these things at once? Um, right, yeah. And that I can have more of an appreciation of uh, the history and the um, and um, their lived experiences. So um, I I plan on reading my way through the the book list um, uh, that we brainstormed up um, during uh, Indigenous cultural awareness training. Well, listen. With that, mm -hmm. uh, let's uh, let's bring the podcast to a close. I really do appreciate the opportunity to 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 sit down and and have a a, a longer conversation. Uh, about what Canary is up to and what the market is looking like in different parts of this country. So uh, a bright future, Victoria? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I would encourage people to um, take a look at uh, our data release so that you can see where we're growing and where the potential for new growth is across the country. And um, I would, uh, I'm supposed to plug a couple of events, Francis, and I didn't do that. But uh, one that you'll be invited to is Electricity Transformation Canada, which we're running in October of this year in Calgary. Um, and we, we will very much look forward to that. And I hope you'll volunteer to um, uh, be on a couple of panels for us. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And uh, for your, for your, your, your data uh, information, we'll include a link to that on the, on the show page. So Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time. It was great to catch up. Yeah, really appreciate it. Take care. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen. And let me know what you think of the Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter or X as at Brad Bradley. The website for this pod is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 93. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.